Welcome to a special edition of Museum Chat Live. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. In the spring of 2020, we began to offer history lectures through our virtual museum lecture series live on YouTube. Now, with over 20 lectures, we're happy to bring the lecture audio to the podcast format so that more people can enjoy these fascinating stories. If you want to catch the lectures in full, take a gander at our YouTube channel. You'll find us under St. Catherine's Museum. We will release most of the 20 lectures over the next few months, and as we add more lectures to YouTube, so too will they eventually appear here on the podcast. We hope these lectures provide a bit of historical joy and also spark imagination and exploration into our city's rich history. More lectures are headed your way this coming winter. For details and to register, please visit our website, stcatherinesmuseum.ca. If you enjoy the lectures, why not consider making a donation to the museum? Your donations help us to continue to provide the high quality and enjoyable programming that you have come to expect from us. We really appreciate any donation you're able to make. Visit our website, stcatherinesmuseum.ca, or give us a call at 905-984-8880 during our operating hours to make a donation. Your donation makes a difference. This next lecture will wrap up our VMLS podcast for 2021, just as the lecture itself wrapped up our first lecture series in the spring of 2020. Lost and Historic Architecture of St. Catharines was presented by yours truly on June 23rd, 2020. After this, we'll be taking a little break, but we'll be back with more lectures in January 2022. So stay tuned, and as always, enjoy the lecture. The Old Courthouse, the Old Welland House Hotel, the Robertson School, the built environment that surrounds uh, surrounds us defines our daily lives and helps to give us and our community identity. Buildings and streetscapes dictate our walk to school or work. They help us distinguish. Dis- they help us to distinguish place. We often forget about them or avoid them. Sometimes we fix them up and give them new life. Other times we tear them down. Most of our local architectural styles aren't unique to St. Catharines. Styles and building types, both industrial and public, for this evening's talk, are typical of other manufacturing centers in Ontario. Yet the buildings and their stories, no matter their design, are what helps us to define our city and our community. These buildings are our everyday and immediate history. The city and its built environment act as the backdrop to which we play out the story of our lives. Surely that backdrop is worth examining. In his paper from 1984 entitled, quote, Our Great Age of Destruction, end quote, local historian and author Robert Taylor commented on the changing streetscapes around the city. Quote, through the, whole, whole, through the wholesale demolition of our local landmarks, the sense of place and of community identity has declined. 
our architectural heritage acts as a reminder of where and what here is. It is a non-renewable resource, as, in, as important as unpolluted air and water. Unfortunately, St. Catharines has ravaged its inheritance of beautiful and historically significant buildings and sacrificed much of its special identity. Our demolition epoch is as much a part of our history as the great era of canal building. The demolition companies have played nearly a, as great a role in changing our environment as did the orig original Welland Canal Company. As we examine lost and historic architecture throughout my presentation this evening, I'd like you to think about the buildings and streetscapes which have contributed to your experiences in the city. Which of those streetscapes or buildings have defined you? And I'd love to hear about those at the end of the presentation in the chat box. A quick note on a uh, quick word on the source material for my talk today. Of course, I used uh, mostly uh, standard images or other images from the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center or from the St. Catharines Public Library. Uh, research, reference, and other um, files. We have tons of uh, reference files on lots of these buildings here at the St. Catharines Museum, but also some great sources like glimpses of the past, uh, which appeared in the St. Catharines Standard. Um, local architectural books produced by the museum, of course, and others. And of course, my favorite, what's up on the slide right now, is the title page for the fire insurance plans. Um, this is the main, this is the key uh, for all the other pages in the book. Um, and if you've been following along with our virtual programming over the last few months, and even as long as you've known me, <laughs> um, the uh, fire insurance plans are pretty much by far my favorite archival document. Um, and we'll see a lot more of them tonight. Uh, I also used a lot of business directories to help out with that. Okay. Quick note on my presentation tonight. I've styled tonight's presentation a little bit like a walking tour. Lucky for us, we get to sit and enjoy the air conditioning um, and uh, maybe maybe some stable <laughs> indoor weather, uh, depending on what the weather decides to do tonight. Uh, but that's sort of the idea behind my presentation today is that it's going to be a bit of a digital walking tour. Um, and it, uh, but unfortunately that means you don't get to count any steps. You can all walk along, walk along in your chairs if you really need your steps counted, um, like I do. <laughs> the added benefit of the digital walking tour is that we aren't harnessed to geography. And so we can jump around the city. So it should be fun. I'm going to jump all over the place. By no means is this an exhaustive presentation or a walking tour. If we try to cover every single significant heritage building in the city, I'm sure you all agree, we'd be going for hours and hours. So no doubt that you'll find that there are some gaps in this presentation, particularly uh, the lack of residential buildings on our tour tonight. The point of this tour is not to walk you through a textbook of heritage buildings, but 
more to connect you with a part of our past that is deeply significant and visible to all of us. So if I miss a building or I miss your favorite building, please do forgive me. <laughs> so without further ado, let us begin our walking tour. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna turn my camera off because I don't want any, um, I don't want my camera to get in the way, sorry. Okay. Here we have the now demolished Lincoln County Jail, which once stood at 116 Niagara Street. With the relocation of the county seat to St. Catharines, not only did the city require a courthouse, it also was in need of a jail. Toronto architect W.G. Storm, who also designed Osgood Hall Law School at the University of Toronto, designed this vaguely Romanesque structure, which opened in 1866. Despite its purpose, the jail was considered to be an attractive building by many residents. And in fact, a few had their wedding photos taken in front of the building. Despite its purpose, the jail was considered to be, um, oops, sorry, that's going, okay, there we go. Um, unlike its companion courthouse, the jail is no longer part of our built landscape. In 1973, the Niagara Regional Detention Center opened and the Niagara Street site was closed. The building was demolished three years later. Here we have, my favorite part of all presentations, my ability to draw on the Zoom screen. So if you're wondering whereabouts it was, there is uh, the Lincoln County Jail there. And I've zoomed in on the right-hand side. Here it is here. A another great reason why I love uh, the fire insurance plans is because they can be so detailed. And if you look really closely, the line, um, the line, it's sort of the rectangle line that outlines the yard is a stone wall. So that's the big jail wall. <laughs> Pretty neat. The only thing about the annotate tool here is I just have to clear all the drawings before I continue on or the circles follow along with us. All right, we're gonna jump, we're jumping. You can get your steps in this way really easily. Just pretend you've walked all that way and you'll get lots of steps. Okay. Another public building lost to history in our city is the Carnegie Library, formerly located at 58 Church Street. It's named the Carnegie or Carnegie, depending on the pronunciation, uh, library because of the $20,000 donation from the Carnegie Foundation towards its construction. The building was designed by Sidney R. Badgley in the Roman classical style and completed in 1905. The library was constructed on land donated by the McSloy family and was a central part of the city. In fact, just looking at this, um, just looking at this amazing building, you can just feel the institutional uh, style and feeling of this building. This building is intended to make you uh, think about uh, what's inside. First, uh, definitely perhaps uh, books, but also it's meant to give you a sense of reverence before you go in. It's meant to sort of humble you. This is quite an edifice. Um, the decision by the province to build a new courthouse 
sounded the death knell for the library. The building was in short order declared structurally unsound as well, and it was demolished in 1977. Architectural remnants from the library can be found here at the museum at the Discovery Park um, uh, that's just outside the gates of the backyard of the museum. So if you're out for a bike ride um, over the next little while, you can come and check out some of the stone parts of the museum. For example, we have, um, I gotta find my image, there we go. We have one of these guys uh, that is in the yard. And then also the nameplate, which is here covered up under flags for the governor general's visit. Uh, the nameplate says St. Catherine's Public Library is actually at the St. Catherine's Public Library, um, just uh, on Church Street across, basically across from the cathedral. So you can check that out. No clear, oh shoot, clear all drawings, there we go. Okay, I was supposed to advance through some slides, so I've been and forgot to. <laughs> so that will be a theme of tonight that I have more photos that I forget and remember. But uh, I just want to pause here and talk a little bit about this intersection because this is quite the intersection uh, in St. Catharines. I've drawn up our fire insurance plans, page three and page four. Again, they're in, if, you haven't, if, you're, if you haven't seen them and you're not familiar with the fire insurance plans, they're enormous, probably measure two feet square-ish, uh, maybe a foot and a half square-ish. Um, so they're big. Um, and I've drawn them up here. They're not perfectly matched, but they're pretty close to give you a sense of the intersection of James and Church. So quite a lot of change has happened. And I like to talk about this corner uh, and this intersection a lot because uh, most of this change has happened between approximately the 1950s, 1960s, and 1980. And I'm just gonna highlight a huge amount of change um, in, uh, in this intersection. And just by looking, I bet most people who are local can identify some of the big changes like core block on, uh, um, oh, sorry, not core block. What am I saying? Uh, some of the um, big office buildings, um, uh, King and Queen, um, that big office blocks that are, uh, sorry, let me use my annotate tool. Do, do, do. Um, some of the big office buildings that are now here and here and here <laughs> and here. Um, also Market Square, which is now, which nice has an indoor building, which is now here. Um, we also have the city hall building, which went this, oops, that's probably too big. Probably went there in the 1930s and then an, a nice big addition as well. Uh, sorry, woo. There we go. Um, <laughs> I'm having too much fun on my um, uh, uh, too much fun on my um, annotate tool here. Anyway, uh, and then we also have the the courthouse building, which kind of goes like that, something like that. Anyway, you're all familiar with it. Um, but it's such a huge amount of change in such a short period of time. A, about 30 years, I'd say, most of this intersection was changed. And that made, I'm gonna clear all my drawings here, and that made for a really exciting new, oops, new program for us here at the St. Catharines Museum during our closure called the Lego Challenge Built Heritage Edition. 
And as you can see here, I've drawn up the, the maps again. And over the last six weeks, we've been building some buildings out of Lego. And if you've been following along with the Lego challenge, uh, you'll know we started with the public way scales, uh, which are right here and this building here. Um, and then uh, we also continued with the uh, Clendenin house. Whoops, I went the wrong way. I went the wrong way. Hold on, there we go. Uh, Clendenin House, which became the city offices. And again, for all these details, I'm gonna make you go and watch all the videos of the Lego challenge so that I get more video views. You guys know how it works. We also built uh, Knox Presbyterian Church, which is one of the buildings that, on the Lego challenge that's still there today. We built the library, which we just talked about. We built St. Joseph's Convent, uh, which is on, the, on this corner of Jameson Church. And then uh, this week, we're building the old courthouse. And that'll be the end of the Lego Challenge Built Heritage Edition uh, for this round. I definitely want to do more, probably a residential and maybe even an industrial uh, challenge as well. Um, but I thought I would just encourage you all to go and watch the videos. They are on Facebook and Instagram and also on our blog, stcatherinesmuseumblog.com. And you can check out all the Lego challenges. And if you have, if you have any more, um, or if you are a Lego person, if you have any youngsters who like Lego or you yourself are a certified Legoist, please consider joining the Lego challenge. You don't have to do it, you know, just because the videos have already happened. You can do it through the summer if you want. Um, and you can find, again, you can find all the challenge videos and information on our blog um, and on Facebook and Instagram, as I mentioned. So um, the idea here, again, was that there's just so much change in such a short period of time. And so I, I really picked this intersection for that reason. And um, the this intersection again, was the location of just so many important civic buildings. So it's not, it's like yet yeah, many intersections in the city have changed in the last hundred years and in a very quick time. Um, but this particular intersection had just had so many important civic buildings that most people would have been connected with. Um, and so just imagine, and it probably would have had an immense change um, and impact a dramatic impact on people's sense of place when the changes occurred. Could you imagine changing every building at this at the same intersection today in the next 20 years? It would be a pretty dramatic and probably um, have a huge impact on how we encounter our downtown streetscapes. So enough about the Lego challenge. I thought about bringing the courthouse in its current form uh, to show you, but it's on two big Lego sheets and um, it's not, it's not ready. <laughs> it, I'm afraid of it falling apart if I move it right now. Okay, enough about the Lego challenge. Let's go on to our next uh, tour. Next uh, tour stop. Next, we're going to jump to Meriton and visit the old Central School. Central Public School was a wonderful late Victorian six room and three story school. It was built in 1893 and held classes until its final academic year in 1979, when it was torn down for the reopening, uh, for the repointing, excuse me, of Glendale and Merritt Streets. As you can see a great, uh, this one's a 1940s fire insurance plan. Uh, and to give you a sense of where it would have been, 
let me get my annotate tool again. And here is the school there. And this isn't quite the intersection that we know um, in uh, Meriton today. Of course, this uh, stone building still exists. This part is the uh, Stone Mill Inn today and Johnny Rocco's restaurant um, with a little bit of a addition here and a parking lot. Um, so Merritt Street's pretty much the same, but uh, Glendale doesn't quite cross over in this kind of way anymore. Um, and so it's re-pointed. And if you kind of draw sort of a straight line, it sort of gets run over by the road. So Glendale uh, was re-pointed at that point. I'm just going to clear this because they're going to follow along. And I uh, have a lovely um, photo of the room six uh, class with uh, the principal, Mr. Foster, there on the right. Uh, this picture is from 1904. They all look so happy. And here's a, another um, photo of uh, that intersection. Again, a, a nice little um, closer to aerial photo here that shows a little bit of what the intersection used to be. So of course, everyone probably recognizes um, this building here as Johnny Rocco's. In fact, there's a big sign right there that says Johnny Rocco's and the Stone Mill Inn. Um, and then we've got a little bit of parking lot, but really the intersection kind of heads through over a little bit closer today um, to the building, as most of you know. And only just a few years ago, as Bell and I have talked many, many times about the uh, tearing up of the railway here that used to go by. That only happened just a few years ago. And of course, if you look in uh, the bottom left-hand corner down here, um, you'll see a canal pond um, where basically the LCBO is today. So lots of interesting history, but we're really here to talk about, <laughs> really here to talk about the Central School. And uh, I love this picture because it, uh, it gives you a really good sense of what that streetscape would have been like and what the community would have been like. And it, it definitely is a sorely missed building um, in the Maritime landscape today. Uh, okay, off we go back downtown St. Catharines uh, to the Federal Building, or as some people know it, the Old Post Office. Located at the intersection of King and Queen Streets, downtown St. Catharines, the Federal Building was a great example of the mid-Victorian style called the Second Empire. And I love the Second Empire style because it's kind of the haunted house style. If you think about um, a haunted house, the typical, even like a clip art or a typical haunted house, or even like the Adams family's house. It's a second empire style house because um, it's got mansard roofing. Uh, oops, I guess I put my, there we go. Mansard roofing like this, um, but also this lovely little sort of ornamental um, fencing or gates at the top kind of gives it a spooky feeling, especially in the, in a, in the, um, you know, in the popular culture sense of the Adams family. Um, the building, this building, signaled the presence of the federal government in the city. And actually similar uh, public federal buildings went up across the country in the 1870s and 1880s. 
here's our fire insurance plan. If you're wondering where we are, it's uh, here on the corner of Church and Queen. The tiled mansard roof is a hallmark as of the Baroque influenced Second Empire style, as are the high windows, uh, elegant mold, ele elegant moldings, and uh, and either gabled or elliptical dormers. I'll go back to that picture so you can get good. Shot. Oops, shot of that. I'm having lots of difficulty with my PowerPoint this evening. Thank you for bearing with me, everybody. The St. Catharines Federal Building hosted the post office on the main floor with customs and excise offices upstairs. Another of the St. Catharines lost buildings, the Federal Building was torn down in 1964. Few examples of this style of architecture remain in the city. Again, you get a really good sense of the streetscape. Okay, off we go. You're getting your steps in everybody. The Sovereign Bank of Canada, established in 1901, built this imposing structure in 1907 for its St. Catharines banking operations. However, before it even got a chance to open, the Sovereign Bank of Canada was taken over by the Bank of Nova Scotia. By January 1908, the Sovereign Bank of Canada, because of its zealous pursuit of business, had accumulated a substantial number of bad loan accounts. It arranged that its liabilities would be uh, guaranteed by 12 major banks at the time, and it would liquidate its affairs. In 1907, the St. Catherine Standard referred to the building as, quote, the handsomest office building in St. Catharines, which occupies one of the most important corners of the city, end quote. Another assessment read, quote, its narrow height, offset by its ornate and heavy cornices. This structure is supposed to suggest rectitude, high-mindedness, and fiscal reliability to investors, end quote. It is a very, very much a bank building built in the Renaissance Palazzo style. Uh, offices occupied the upper floors of the four-story commercial building. Nothing says bank building like this. The current, uh, this building, I should add, was replaced by the current bank building, which is still the Bank of Nova Scotia, in 1968. This is one of my favorite buildings, the Prendergast, whoops, if I can say it properly, the Prendergast block. One of the first buildings from the Second Canal era to be demolished was the Prendergast block on St. Paul Street. When it was built, it was a modern innovation of office and retail space, most famously housing the James D. Tate Dry Goods Company. Built in the 1850s by William Hamilton Merritt Jr. and named for his mo mother's family, the demolition of this building was just uh, was just as significant as the building itself. Seen as the beginning of the post-war redevelopment of downtown, the building was torn down in 1949. It was the first major real estate development in the downtown in over 20 years and was hailed as such. The beginning of the end of a now highly romanticized era 
in St. Catherine's history of industry and business. Many regret the decision to tear down the architectural gem, which held many familiar features to Rodman Hall, another Merritt family structure, including Romanesque peaked gables and stone facade. Just looking at that building, you can see the similarities to Rodman Hall. This is a great photo from the 1918 Victory Parade. Okay, we're gonna jump. We're gonna get some more steps in. We're going back to Meriton, <laughs> back down to Meriton. If the Lincoln County Courthouse building is the most iconic in St. Catharines, then uh, most iconic sort of uh, public building in St. Catharines, then the Independent Rubber Company building is the most in iconic industrial building in St. Catharines. Built in 1881 as the Beaver Cotton Mill, the uh, site took great advantage of locks 14, 15, and 16 of the second Welling Canal and is one of the few remnants of the industrial dominance of Meriton between 1845 and approximately 1910. By the end of the First World, Wo World War, the manufacturing industry had changed so drastically that many large milling factories began to sit empty. Domtar Paper was the last to use and own the site, especially since they existed. Uh, they owned, they also owned this building. And so they own this building too. This here's our independent rubber uh, facility. Um, and uh, Domtar Paper again was the last to use and own the site, uh, using the buildings uh, to store paper products until unfortunately the palatial six-story factory building was destroyed by a fire. There we go. Uh, was destroyed by a fire in 1961. The smaller building that once housed steam sheds and water turbines was completely reconstructed in a life and heritage saving renovation to house the keg restaurant in 2001. Highly publicized renovation, I should add, and it, it really did save the building. Um, you can just imagine the, oh, you can just imagine the um, imposition of that enormous factory building um, on the landscape today, if you think about what is there today. So here's our existing keg building. And I'm sure most of our audience who has visited this building before knows there's a little door here for our bridge that goes over this, uh, the Slucin uh, races, uh, sorry, the raceways here uh, down from uh, the, the weirs and the lock. Um, and then this building is a building that's gone today. That's the building that burned down in the 60s. And uh, so you can kind of get a sense of how big this building would have been because Swiss Chalet is here-ish, um, probably bigger than that. Uh, Harvey's is there. Um, there's another part of the strip mall there and they've got some cool architecture things, remnants, but, and this is the drive-through. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm having too much fun. And then the bank is over here somewhere. Um, and so you get the sense that this building was just enormous. And it's possible that most people who worked at the factory, whether the beaver, beaver cotton mills or independent rubber, depend, no matter what the factory it is, lived somewhat locally. And so likely they would have been able to see the factory from where they lived. And uh, that has a really huge impact on your sense of place and uh, your sense of streetscape and also just your life. Think about if you lived so close to your workplace that you could see it every day. Um, that would be uh, that'd be very different from the kind of life that most of us live today. Okay, we're jumping away again. We're going back downtown. See what I mean by a digital walking tour? We can just jump wherever we want. It's pretty great. All right. Today's Welland House Hotel is not representative of its rich past as one of the city's three major tourist destinations in the 19th century, especially because today the Welland House sits empty. The Welland House Hotel, the Stevenson House, and Springbank Hotel were extremely popular hotels and spas, famous for their access to underground salt water springs. When William Hamilton Merritt began building a mill along the uh, shores of 12 Mile Creek way back in the 1820s, he discovered a salt spring and mineral waters flowing from an underground spring. The water was boiled, leaving salt, uh, which was valuable commodity at the time, though super difficult to process. In later years, it was discovered that drinking or bathing in the mineral water could cure a variety of ailments. That's all because of the Victorian sense of medicine. Um, the, this prompted the development of two spa resorts on Yates Street, Yates Street uh, the Stevenson House and Springbank Hotel, allow, allowing vacationers from far and wide to test the healing powers of the mineral waters. By the 1800s, spa resorts were no longer, or sorry, by the late 1800s, the end of the Victorian period, spa resorts were no longer fashionable uh, vacation destinations, as improved railway, railroad transportation links made other options possible. When Springbank closed in 1889, the building became the first home of Ridley College, but most of the structure, unfortunately, was destroyed by fire in 1903. The Welland House Hotel has had a long history, a long varied history, and has served as a hotel for most of its life until most recently it was a student residence downtown. What's pretty interesting is that the main building itself has mostly remained, un oops, mostly remained unchanged. Um, and I just wanna go back and forth a little bit, bear with me, to show some of that change. Was, <coughs> excuse me. What's really interesting is we have this passageway, which is actually from, it's not there anymore, but which is actually from the previous uh, slide. So there's this um, wood structure passageway between the large, large Wild House Hotel brick building on the left and the other brick building on the right, which um, was actually the mineral baths, as you can see from the fire insurance plant. This is why I love the fire insurance plant. Um, additionally, 
there were a couple of other rooms included in the um, in the complex, I guess you could say. And what's really interesting is you have a couple of nurses, um, nurses rooms and servants quarters here in this little, what I assume was a house of some kind that's sort of next door to the hotel. So they're basically right on site, ready to be at service. Lots of great stories from the Welland House Hotel. I hope every, we're sort of getting close to the end and I hope everyone is thinking about buildings or streetscapes that are important to them because I'd love to hear about them in the comments at the end, along with your questions, of course. Now we're going to jump over to sort of Queenston Street area and visit the St. Barnabas Anglican Church, or as the postcard says, this old, old postcard says St. Barnabas English Church. St. Barnabas Anglican uh, began in 1870 as a mission church of St. George's Anglican Church. In 1873, a small wooden church, the St. Barnabas Mission Chapel, was erected on Tasker Street. The current church was built in 1893. The Gothic, uh, the design of the Gothic Revival Church was influenced heavily by the arts and crafts movement, which attempted to revive the craftsmanship and ambiance of early medieval styles. The, the interior embodies massive timber roof construction, French style oil, fi oil finished work, Germanic and Italian windows and ochre walls with murals that were somewhat recently painted by Chris Tinkler. The original, uh, the original wooden church, which is over on the uh, right-hand side of the photo was used as a parish hall until it was demolished in 1935. And shout out to a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Ben Phelan, who is the organist at St. Barnabas. Um, now, I also just want to mention that uh, Kathleen and I have done a great podcast episode about the arts and crafts movement, specifically uh, in St. Catharines, in as a part of our One Hour in the Past podcast. So if you're interested in listening to that and a little and hearing a little bit more about the history of the arts and crafts movement in architecture, you can check out that episode. It's really cool because a lot, I'd say a lot of um, residential properties, especially in sort of the downtown neighborhood or in the older sections between, say built between uh, the 1890s and maybe the 1930s, late or late 30s maybe have uh, huge influences in uh, the arts and crafts style movement. So there's lots of residential examples of that kind of building all around the city. Okay, we're going to jump over to this weird looking building, um, which doesn't really quite look like this today. It's pretty, pretty much the same. But uh, this is this is a very strange view of this particular building. By the mid-1870s, the Anglican population in West St. Catharines had outgrown a previous church, and the new parish of St. Thomas was uh, opened in 1879. Architect M.C. Beebe, a disciple of the R.R. Richardson School of Boston, designed the building uh, in what's called the Richardson Romanesque style. 
probably the most dramatic <laughs> building, <laughs> one of the most dramatic buildings in the city, I'd say. Located at the end of Church Street, the structure dominates the land, uh, dominates the streetscape with its colorful red Queenston limestone and its lovely rose window. The 1970s, 80s, and early 90s included, included some major restoration work on the towers and the bartizans, as well as new glass, as a new glass enclosed entrance with a raised circular driveway for uh, greater access to the main church. And that's really how we know it today. I wanted to find an interior, some interior shots of some of these buildings. And this is a really nice one because it's from the wedding of Eric Muntz, uh, Eric Bunce and Marjorie, Marjorie Weller, who is the daughter of J.L. Weller, the superintendent of the Welling Canal at the time. Um, and it was their wedding at St. Thomas's in 1915. And the, if you've been in the inside of the church, pretty much unchanged, except for one major fact. They now use chairs instead of pews. In studying the architectural history of the city, I've learned that the city's history is quite cyclical, which is not unique to St. Catharines. Stores and shops, services and groups come and go. But what is most challenging for us as citizens of this city is when our heritage structures are treated as disposable objects in the way of progress. And so I'll leave today's presentation with asking you to think again about the important buildings in your life and to consider the impact the destruction of those buildings might have on the uh, might have an impact on your identity and the identity of your community. Hi, it's Adrian again. We really hope you enjoyed the lecture. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us via our social media channels or at museum at stcatherines.ca. If you enjoy the lectures, why not consider making a donation to the museum? Your donations help us to continue to provide the high quality and enjoyable programming that you have come to expect from us. We really appreciate any donation you're able to make. Visit our website, stcatherinesmuseum.ca, or give us a call at 905-984-8880 during our operating hours to make a donation. Your donation makes a difference. Next time on VMLS Via Podcast, we'll revisit our first lecture of the 2020 Autumn Series with Stones and Symbols of Victoria Lawn Cemetery with special guest Dr. Adam Montgomery in January 2022. Until then, thanks for listening. The Virtual Museum Lecture Series is presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welling Canal Centre.